0: a core requirement for um, a really long-term uh, real estate play is that it's attractive to people over over time and the way that happens uh, a architect friend of ours Steve Mazan says um, places worthy of love <laughs> <laughs> a little soft and fuzzy for me but it's actually right. very accurate you know if people love a place then it's going to hold value or you know and appreciated value tremendously
1: Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast.
0: The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now,
1: here's your host, Matthew Lowe. <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome to episode number 33 of the Placemaking Podcast. I am extremely excited to have all of you here today and I am happy to share this next conversation with all of you. Ward Davis is a founding partner of High Street Real Estate and Development, a real estate company focused on urban and new urban properties, vibrant growing cities and towns. Ward recently served as president of the National Town Builders Association, which is a national trade organization for leading developers of economically, socially, environmentally sustainable neighborhoods and town centers. Ward has a BA in economics from Davidson College, a general course diploma in economics from the London School of Economics and Political Science and an MBA from the University of Virginia. Ward, along with his partner Morgan Hooker, first began toying with the idea of joining forces to form High Street back in 2004. Now, since then, they have built their portfolio to include a multitude of high quality developments. High Street real estate and development was born out of a need to build great new places and to redevelop properties in Northwest Arkansas's historic downtowns. Their residential and commercial projects are influenced by philosophies that improve livability, adding lasting value to the neighborhoods and communities. They continually strive to make better places for communities, tenants, neighbors, and local businesses as a whole. From renovations to adaptive reuse to from the ground up neighborhood building, their end goals are always the same. These are improving livability, reducing operating costs, and delivering unrealized value. Now, in this episode, we are going to discuss the financial model for place oriented developments, how that differs from the typical conventional development, alignment of interest with investors, and what type of investors might be interested in placemaking and why. And there's tons of great information in this episode, and I greatly appreciated Ward's candor in discussing these topics and how they relate to their company's business model. as always, if you've enjoyed the show, I'd ask that you please subscribe to the show and share with your friends in the industry. There will be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. Without further ado, let's start the show.
0: Hey, welcome to the show, Ward. Uh, Nice to talk to you, Matt.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on here. You have some pretty awesome experience, and I really wanted to highlight that today. So if we could, we'll just jump right into it and kind of get a little bit about your background, Ward, and then we'll transition that into where you're at now at High Street. Okay. Can you give us a little bit about uh, uh, where you started, where it all began
0: at Genesis? So real estate development is one of those, it's an interesting business because um, pretty much anybody that's in this business um, did not start out as a real estate developer. Most people started (laughs) in in a different area and migrated into development. uh, and also because, um, uh, by requirement, uh, real estate developers are jacks of all trades and masters of none. I came from a, uh, finance background. So got a, um, a master's, uh, or an MBA and then an after business school, uh, went into, um, uh, working for an investment bank, doing mergers and acquisitions and private equity, uh, investing a lot of it as a principal for the family. Um, and started doing real estate transactions on the side because I was interested in the financial model for real estate. Real estate is valued on current cash flows, and that, to me, is more stable than, than, a, than a the valuations. Uh, like the stock market is valued on PE multiples, which, which is an expectation of future cash flows. So to be able to, to uh, do well in the real estate market, you just have to... Um, be able to predict whether the cash flows for an asset will increase over time or not. To beat the stock market, you've gotta be able to um, predict whether cash flows will increase faster than, um, than the market's expectations for future cash flows for a company. So I got into real estate for very much financial reasons. Um, through a twisting, turning course, I became, really interested in uh, the placemaking side of the business, both for um, reasons that had to do with just places I like to visit and spend time. Um, so personal preference reasons, emotional reasons, but also I like the financial model for great places. They're mm-hmm. more stable over time and, uh, and, uh, um, and outperform you know, more soulless places over time. So that, that became more interesting to me. Um, so that's how I got into real real estate my partner Morgan hooker he uh, was a construction guy and he um, came into it he was a architecture student um, didn't hack it as an architecture student so he uh, <laughs> got into construction was excellent at construction but he's never quite gotten rid of the uh, um, of his um, uh, his run as an architecture student yeah. and he as a result has honed what's, what is an incredible design so he's he is um, fantastic from the design standpoint, but also fantastic from the construction standpoint. And his um his strengths generally um, match really well uh, with my weaknesses, and vice versa.
1: Yeah, that's great. How did uh? So you were talking about getting in, involved in real estate. Uh, you know, what what did that early what did that early real estate dealings look like? Was was that acquisitions or was that Um, was that more of development starting out from the beginning? or
0: It was as basic as it could possibly be. So a friend of mine um, uh, was buying houses on the courthouse stubs in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, and rehabbing them to the point of making them livable. And, um, you know, a lot of times, the great great thing about Little Rock is that um, a ton of housing stock from the uh 20s and 30s that's you know craftsman homes that were built extremely durably um they just were were aged so we could put a little work into them and get them mm-hmm. in decent shape um and then rented those out and and uh we built a, a nice little portfolio of uh, homes with a couple of folks and uh and uh it worked really well so that's how i got into it it could have been more modest
2: into
0: <laughs> the, the market um but I enjoyed real estate, so then I actually left in investment banking to take a job in uh, acquisitions at a at a REIT so I could leverage my finance experience and then learn a lot more about real estate and uh, what I learned there was that um, real estate investment trusts are a lousy way to invest in real estate. Um, <laughs> uh, also that I was working had been working in, a, um, in an investment bank though that was very principle oriented. Family owned bank that was, um, that had a sizable chunk of their own money and was investing it. And they had a very long term view of investing. What I found at the REIT was that they had an incredibly short term view of investing and were also very much focused on how they were paid, which is on dollars under management. So they they were a very aggressive, more aggressive than I would have been in, in uh, uh, buying assets mm-hmm. that, that may not have been the best assets. So, um, it was an interesting dichotomy. I only did that for about a year and a half because, you know, I, I wasn't I didn't like that business model, but, uh, um, and was interested in getting into real estate development. Uh, and so that's when I partnered up with my partner, Morgan, about 2004, um, and got into development.
1: Okay. What did, uh, what did the genesis of high street look like? Was that, uh, how'd you guys meet?
0: Okay. So Morgan and I, um, we started working together in 2004 and just in time, you know, of course, to catch the downturn, people talk about <laughs> the downturn and real estate being 2008. That was just the, that was just the destruction. The, you know? Yeah.
1: the downturn
0: in the real estate started in 2006. 2006, we knew what was coming and knew that, you know, uh, the, the, that the we weren't going to miss the iceberg, you know, um, <laughs> and that the Titanic was going to sink. So. Um, but uh interestingly, he Morgan introduced me to a company, Dwight Plater Zyberg and Company, um, who uh is famous as you know, I imagine folks listening to this podcast will, will know DPZ pretty well. But the um uh he had was was working with them on a project that never got off the ground down in, in Florida. And so, you know, I started seeing the pieces of the puzzle started to come together in my mind, you know, they were working on places that I really enjoyed um, and that had the characteristics that I always gravitated towards. And I also started to see a financial model that, that, that made sense to me that was longer term uh, and stable and, um, uh, you know, that was, that, that, that was attractive to me as well. And that's when he and I started working together. Now during the downturn, he um, worked heavily in construction and I worked uh, developing a, a, uh, a DPZ design neighborhood in central Arkansas. And uh, so he and I got back together in 2015. Um, my project was largely complete and and uh, he had um, found a landowner that wanted to do something really special on his, on his piece of property that was incredibly well located. So we uh, started High Street to, um, we really started to develop this this property and then decided that we wanted to form a company around this type of stuff since we had a couple of other opportunities as well. And High Street uh, Real Estate Development, we focus on downtown tri- properties, but we also focus on traditional neighborhood development. So new town center type projects as well. Um, we have several downtown projects. One of them is uh, called the 1907 building in downtown Rogers, Arkansas. It's a uh, old warehouse grocery in, this, in the dead middle of a beautiful downtown. Um, that uh, now has um, some beautiful mezzanine loft apartments, but also has a great coffee, sh- a fantastic coffee shop, mm-hmm. and bakery, a bakery, um, a, a gorgeous event space, a taqueria, and mezcal bar, a, a cocktail lounge, um, and a, a tasting restaurant. Uh, and it's really been transformative to that to that downtown. I say transformative, but really that downtown was improving, but it allowed it. Mm-hmm. Jump to another level. Um, the other end of the spectrum, we have a 80 acre uh, TND that we've been working on for the last several years. That just now, as in the last couple of years, started going vertical, um, and we um, finished design work. And they have the first building under construction on a 170 acre traditional neighborhood as well. Um, both of those are in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and um, and uh, which is an incredibly quick growing town in northwest arkansas so um so we are um you know place focused developers for sure
1: mm-hmm. so yeah i'm curious uh, the term placemaking always has different kind con- of or slightly different connotations I-, I wanted to get your your take on on what that means to high street
0: okay so and placemaking is a term that also has been hijacked to some degree just <laughs> as, as new urbanism but uh so I talk about, you know, place focus. So um, we recognize that the, that a, a core requirement for um, a really long-term uh, real estate play is that it's attractive to people over over time. And the way that happens, the uh, architect friend of ours, Steve Mazan says, um, place is worthy of love. <laughs> <laughs> A Little soft and fuzzy for me, but it's actually right. very accurate. You know, if people love a place, then it's going to hold value or you know, and appreciated value tremendously. You know, mm-hmm. Taking a DPZ project, uh, seaside on on the thirty eight coast in Florida, I mean, it's it's just tremendous value has been uh, created there from the original twenty five thousand dollar lots, uh, waterfront lots uh, that Robert Davis developed that now are priced by the Linear square, a uh, linear inches of water <laughs> funnel. You know, that's a that was a new metric to me. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, um, uh, you know, because people love it, it's a great place. Um, you know, and you think about what are the best places? What are the places? You, you can ask anybody. Nobody that you, it doesn't have to be somebody that studies and stuff. You just ask people, what are your favorite neighborhoods that you've ever been to? And uh, you know, they'll almost always talk about you know in their hometown. It'll always be the you know the, the the nicest of the historic areas and then um and then you know if you kind of broaden it beyond there they'll talk about garden district in new orleans or alexandria virginia or beacon hill in, in boston or mm. uh you know get outside of the country and obviously people talk about uh, florence and paris and you know places that are uh, have a mix of uses have a mix of unit types that's the uh, real estate speak that means a mix of people doing different stuff mm-hmm. and uh, so that's kind of the, the crux was that we uh, feel like places that people love are places that um, become more valuable over time.
1: No, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, and we talked about this a little bit uh, prior to the show, but you're a finance guy. Um, that's right. How how does the financial model for these these place-oriented, place-centric developments differ from the more conventional development ground-up development that uh, we're we're used to seeing is it uh, can you just kind of go into that what you think how it it differs um, you know when you're doing your financial modeling?
0: Well conventional development um, you know uh, has a model that is uh, predicated on the idea that if you build something that's new and shiny right now everybody loves it and they pile into it and then you know, a year or two from now, somebody builds something newer and more shiny um, right down the road, and you descend relatively as a new product is brought on. You know, kind of the, the new mall, the old mall, the new strip center replaces the old strip center. In fact, the entire street of old strip, you know, of what used to be the new strip centers becomes the street of old strip centers, and, <laughs> and spirals downhill
1: from there. Right. That's
0: right. Same thing with apartment buildings, apartment complexes, you know, um, and the um, the the business model, you know, because it's recognized that the um, that you go from class A to B to C to D to to disintegration. um, To stay away. (laughs) uh, Yeah, yeah, is is because that's the model. um, There's less priority placed on durability, more priority placed on you know, kind of what is. The current uh, design, um, you know, ethos, and less on things that are enduringly beautiful. So we spend money on things that are in, enduringly beautiful and that are more durable. As in, in, in contrast, because we believe, and it takes a whole lot more work, but if you get in an area that's loved and uh, people that really appreciate it, um, then then you can build Class A properties that are Class A now and Class A in 30 years you know kind of on the design side you know the way I talk about it is you know um, you know right now you've got box modern which I think is going to age incredibly poorly first of all it's inherently not durable because (laughs) materials and you're seeing that already and then second of all it's you know we're going to look back at those buildings and decide they were ugly in about two years from now and uh,
1: and, Mm -hmm.
0: you know and then we won't love them again you know I mean I grew up in the 80s and parachute pants are real damn popular for a while. i <laughs> you not know, <I'll> come back. <laughs> you know, people, are wearing that, you know. people are still wearing Levi's, you know. So, right. um, so what it takes to develop like we develop is a lot more attention to a lot of details. And also it takes attention to the software side of, of the world, you know, programming and that sort of thing. But you, mm-hmm. But as a developer, you also have to recognize you can't get there by yourself. Uh, you can't, you know, when developers talk about their vision for a new property or project, it's first of all it's incredibly douchey, and second of all, <laughs> it um, it uh, you know has a, a hubris to it that, that that that's unattractive to people, and because mm-hmm. most developers are douchebags. But the, um, <laughs> the uh, but our approach is that actually developers to be effective doing what we're doing need to really step back and understand that if you're, if you're developing, for instance, we're developing a whole neighborhood. We understand that coming out of the ground, it's it, it's not authentic, you know, it's not, it's not been built by uh, enough hands over time, but the way that it becomes authentic is that uh, the people that live here and work here, it becomes theirs. It's not ours. All mm-hmm. we're doing is putting uh, bones in place that are very much receptive to, um, how people will use the space, and as a result our our development model is very um, flexible We respond as people use the uh, uh, neighborhood differently we build different types of buildings so we have a we have a, while we're developing the whole thing ourselves we've got an incremental approach that responds to you know change in stimuli so sure um, uh, so as 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 the neighborhood uh, grows and evolves and ultimately will be incredibly different than what we envision on the front end. So we go into it with a more humble approach to, um, to, to, to development. So that's, that, that's a key criteria as well. So that going back to that is that is, is a more humble approach. that's that's more centered on the, the, the neighborhood is not ours. It is theirs. And the, um, and then the buildings we build, they need to be durable and they need to be in, in, um, uh, enduringly attractive. Um,
1: Timeless, yeah.
0: You don't get to be, you know, c- because our model is, you know, again, Class A now and Class A in 30 years. If the building falls apart, it doesn't do you any good. <laughs> if people don't think it's attractive anymore, it doesn't do you any good. So, right. Um, right. That, that, that approach doesn't. Doesn't mean architectural style. A lot of times we get associated with traditional architecture, which is, um, which is probably the easiest way to to, to be uh, attractive over time. But the best modern architecture is also fantastic as well. So we are uh, interestingly we are we like very traditional and very modern, uh, very, but hate bad modern and hate bad faux traditional. So. so we, uh, <laughs> We're,
1: we're kind of both ends of the spectrum there gotcha so you focus on timeless design that yeah. basically uh, allows you and your model's are slightly different than some where a lot of what you do develop you hold mm. um, which which right. adds to what you were saying you want it 30 30 years I mean it's your investment you're holding you want it to uh, you want to only appreciate in 30 years so
0: that's right. I kind of rail against the 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 uh, um, how far the end users are from the people that are doing the work. You know, the guy, the subcontractors that are building the building work for a contractor who works for a developer, and the developer flips the property to a you know a read or a holding company, and then that has the property leased to a tenant. That tenant is awfully far removed from a from from the person that's building the building, and that's that's uh, that's a shame because. You know, if the closer it's tied, the closer the, those pieces are tied together, the more attention there is to detail. And because we're going to own the buildings for so long, or or, or plan to own them, I'm not saying we can't be bought because we can, but um, the um, but but we go into it very purposefully, planning to to hold on to properties. Um, we you know we spend more time on on details, and we um, you know spend spend money on um, design and and uh, And and durability, which I really have always thought cost us initial cash flow. Mm -hmm. But man, I've been surprised. It's usually what we build. It doesn't take very long for it to be pretty well appreciated by the market. So we usually get a pop in value pretty quickly and we may be we may be have slightly lower cash flow than a garden-style apartment. For instance, day one or day 10 or, you know, for a year, a year and a half. But, man, we just really start out stripping them really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. so our kind of, you know, five-year returns and 10-year returns usually 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 look pretty good. So, um, but, you know, I found in great places that – if you sell off all of the stuff if you sell off lots for, for apartments then you get crummy apartment developers and you sell off you know uh, everything you develop like like most developers do you don't you don't get to uh, participate in that appreciation that's really the value you, you know where a lot of the value is is, is gained so
1: mm-hmm. that's a good point yeah a lot of uh, like said, a lot of developers uh, do sell uh, you know as soon as they hit lease up Almost um, if- yeah. yeah so you know there's there is a detachment from the end product so that's a yeah. good point so how do you, They're how do you, trying,
0: you know, the, the, any dime they spend on durability does not accrue to them Sure. so there's, sure. as a result there is you know
1: <laughs>
0: they got to survive their one year warranty <laughs>
1: and
0: you know um, but then after that it's, it's a game of musical chairs and he's going to get stuck with this piece of junk with it finally
1: you know cracks yeah I, I see that a lot more with uh kind of the sustainability side you know it's just um most don't see the benefit of adding you know certain or even chasing lead or not even lead but just you know sustainable you know building methods uh, just because they are going to sell you know yeah. it doesn't affect them it doesn't um you know it doesn't affect their bottom line in the future because uh, the, there's no hold. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm interested here also, you know, y- your model is probably a little uh, slower growth than some of those that do sell. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, the way I describe it, and I stole this from, uh, from someone I used to work with is uh, our model is... High return on capital, low return on aggravation. <laughs>
1: so
0: <laughs> we, um, you know, we have to, you know, we do, It's 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 not repetitive. You know, you can't just stomp it out like a like a Walgreens or a you know, a Dollar General store. You know, you're you're um, having to think through each project pretty pretty discreetly, which you know uh, makes it hard to um, uh, hard to hard to develop at, at much scale. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, so I guess to go along with that, how do you discuss that with your your investors? Um, how How does that how does that discussion take place? You know, when you're describing, you know, this investment opportunity.
0: The investors are fine with the high return on capital, low <laughs> return on aggravation, because aggravation isn't theirs. <laughs> so sure. Usually, appreciate the, the aggravation. We're, um, you know, where when we talk to, to investors and, you know, primarily to, you know, until relatively recently, we were, we raised money with um, sophisticated, but folks that, that, that knew us already, the people that I've been to business school with or people that um, that had, had known us from development and seen what we were doing and were impressed with what we were doing, mm-hmm. um, and just recently, we kind of gone broader than that. And where we are unusual relative to the market is that we don't is that we develop and then hold. And usually, those for for investors, you have investment vehicles that invest and develop that projects. So uh, they expect the the properties to be flipped um, and then and make a big profit, big pop. Mm-hmm. And then there are. Um, uh, and then there, at the other end, there are you know REITs and that sort of thing where they own properties for a, a long period of time or a longer period of time. Usually, it's still only five to seven years. But then there's a, a liquidity event. So there are two, di- two different. There uh, are two different. You know, there's an investment for developments and an investment for hold. Well, we were we were both. And the second thing is we're also unabashedly long term. And I, I thought you know that that not having obvious liquidity. Um, events, you know, kind of, or even require liquidity events that they, um, uh, that, that, um, would be a deterrent to sure. investors. you know, sure. that we are unusual. Well, what we have found is in particular, um, you know, the, the term family office has entered the lexicon in the last decade or so kind of more broadly, but you're having more, um, investment groups that are, that, that are managing their own money as opposed to having, um, out, you know, just sending it all to outside managers, uh, family offices. And these family offices in particular are, um, are attracted to our type of investment. Um, the downside of the shorter term, the, the upside of a shorter term investment is if you develop something and flip it is you get a, a great, uh, you know, what can look like a really great return and what they Talk about an internal rate of return, which is uh, time-adjusted uh, return, um, but you have reinvestment risk, and you also have your money being handed back to you. and get, And finding investments is hard; it takes a long time to find a good investment.
1: Sure. Uh, yeah.
0: But these family offices really are attracted to the idea of uh, of of investments that are that predictably. Uh, uh, spit off cash and and also appreciate over time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know um, the most sophisticated of them, which are using the ones that have had money for a while. You know it's almost impossible to buy their their predictable cash flow out of their hands. Well, we we and then the second thing is, investors today are having a really hard time finding yield. It was hard to find yield before the downturn. Stocks don't provide yield because dividends are taxed differently than capital gains. So 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 you're not getting uh, so people do you know, so stocks don't pay dividends very mm-hmm. much. Um, and um, then interest rates are exceptionally low. And then the third thing is that um, municipal bonds, which has historically been a great uh, source of tax-free yield, sure. um, interest rates are low, but also it's becoming more widely understood. And in in the folks at Strong Pounds are particularly aware of this, becoming more widely understood that municipal finances are, are eroding over time as our development patterns Suck and um, and uh, so 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 yield is extremely hard for investors to find and at the moment right now um, um, earnings multiples PE multiples in the stock market are high so even getting appreciation is is, is questioned so we by by comparison we are yield focused and uh, cash flow focused and then appreciation is a happy benefit of having assets that do really well over time um, we're just very attracted to to. To investors, and that came as a surprise to me. I went into it thinking that we would be less attractive because we were weird, but uh,
1: <laughs> no, that makes sense. I mean, people want stable returns. Um, you yeah, you they, don't know what you're going to get in the stock market.
0: And I've been incredibly surprised. We were about to do a raise right before, literally, we were you know, like the week of like March 10th or something. We were <laughs> you know, having you know kind of final rounds of discussions with a couple of them. Financial groups to uh, kind of decide who we're going to raise the money with. Well, COVID, when 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 everybody got quarantined, you know, we put that on hold. Thought that was the uh, uh, prudent thing to do. But man, they've just all come out of the woodwork in the last you know three months or so, and they're like, well, you, what do you think? You think it's time to get going again? And we got a real weird time in the market where we've got disruption in supply chains, so construction costs are. Exceptionally high right now, so we're probably slow rolling into that. So we're probably not going to make do a big of raise anytime soon. But I'm I'm amazed at how quickly those folks are ready to talk again. You know, so um, yeah, again, I think the uh, I think the model is actually very attractive to them.
1: Yeah, that's uh, uh... Uh, one thing. I
0: will say is and this is this is just kind of really bounced to my attention. And I would say it's last month or two, I've I've heard it and not and not recognize the subtle message a lot of folks you know small incremental developers or folks investing in downtowns particularly kind of uh, resurging you know in downtown's they hope turn. um i um will say you know we have trouble finding patient investors and i listen to what they're saying um and uh and even we were working on a, um, a succession plan for a very prominent project, um, and the owner talked about patient investors. And the more I listen, you know, and, and just have kind of recently put the pieces together, is a lot of times they mean investors that 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 are perfectly happy to get lower returns. Well, hell, of course they aren't finding those. You know, that's not <laughs> what I mean by patient investors. Patient investor, when I say patient investor, and actually, I never say patient investor. I just say long term investors. What I mean is what I'm talking about is investors that appreciate the fact that we're making a long term play that, that, uh, that helps them with predictable cash flows and that sort of, and, 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 you know, bol- bolsters their portfolio and can, and can become a very important part of their portfolio by performing well over time. Uh, but not that it performs worse than other investment uh, alternatives. I argue that it performs better. So um, that is a that, that's been a new wrinkle. So some people are I can't find a, a patient investor to invest in my you know shitty downtown building that I'm going to try to you know make into a a um, you know a restaurant that may or may not survive. And you know you know that you know you got to have a, a better a, a more thought out business model than that. You need to you need to be thinking about how you know, you can build. Yeah, okay. That restaurant may be a a core piece that adds vibrancy to a more stable um, office or, or or apartment play. That um, that that also, you know, reinforces it with people. And you know, um, and you build around a nucleus like that. Um, that to me is, uh, you know, is, is what you've got to think about. Not you know, mm-hmm. I do, uh, you know, food halls are the rage, and now I want to do a food hall. But I want them you know, and the financial model is dicey for it. And, uh, you know, uh, that's not the way to think about
1: it. Oh, that's That's an awesome point. Um, uh, you know, I've always heard investors want to hear return of your capital first and then return right. on the capital. So. Yeah,
0: that's that's exactly right. First, first things first, you know, right. Let's, let's get fancy. The other thing that we don't do is we don't try to, you know, what what returns are your investors expecting? I tell investors what we can do, not what, not, not I don't, you know, I listen to what their goals are and what their uh, purposes are and then tell them what we can do. I don't try to cram a square peg into a round hole and, um, you know, we want, you know, and, and therefore, you know, try to get them a, you know, whatever return over the, you know, the five to seven year kind of, private equity time horizon i I just you know uh, you know i don't try to talk them into something if they're naturally attracted to our business model good we'll have a more substantive conversation going forward if they're not go on. there's other there's a lot more people doing it the other way so Mm -hmm. what i thought is you know maybe we'd have 20 to 30 percent of the folks we talk to be fascinated by our business model and want to learn more and we do deals with a smaller percentage than that, but I'm finding that everybody's, everybody's interested, you know, to some degree, mm-hmm. and, you know, we may not fit for X, Y, Z reason, but, uh, but, uh, you know, everybody's interested. So um, I've been, you know, pleasantly surprised by that, but, but the more, I, you know, at first it struck me as odd and the more I've thought about it, I'm like, well, it, you know, it's the same reason as I'm attracted to do it. Yeah. just Turns out that their investment philosophies are more closely aligned to, than to, to my approach than what than what they've been provided. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, they might just not know that that actually exists. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> I mean, there's something to that. So,
1: mm-hmm. so how do you how those initial conversations look as far as uh, defining the alignment of interest with your group as well as the, the investors. I mean, you kind of touched on that already, but um you just kind of lay out your philosophy and mm-hmm. and um or or wait to see what what theirs is and see if it's even a match or.
0: yeah, I mean I was you know uh, you know we've done surprisingly little reaching out to investors and more just you know, oh someone says you know i'm I'm you know I might reach out if I hear that a group is looking or if we you know. We just kind of get introduced to folks. Banks will introduce us to folks, you know, and mm-hmm. you, know, just, you know, other folks know what we're doing will say, "Oh, you know, who'd be interested in talking to you?" and uh, um, and so um, you know, it's, it's 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 you know, it's 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 very casual. It's um, uh, I don't. It's it's not like you know. Uh, you know i'm trying to think of a of a good analogy it's kind of like <laughs> hating you know it's it's best if you kind of start with a comfortable friendship and kind of evolve from there as opposed to trying to peacock around and impress somebody you know yeah, yeah. Uh, you know i'm not saying it never works the other way i'm just saying that the results are not as usually as long term you know right <laughs> and the and the match may not be as uh, as uh, structurally sound so sure. um, you know so you know our conversations are usually you know just you know i've I've usually got enough in common with them from an investment background to at least have them have a mildly knowledgeable conversation about what they're about their business and you know what they're interested in at the time and you know shooting the, the breeze about um you know what they're what they're seeing in the market and and then you know and then walk through kind of what we're doing and you know we've got enough built stuff on the ground that we can tour people through and, 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 you know, emotion always plays a little bit of a part in what we build. I, I feel like what we build is particularly beautiful. And, and usually that's kind of an eye opener to folks. And they're like, man, we can invest in something that we're proud of like this and proud to be a part of mm-hmm. and have returns that meet or exceed, you know, kind of, um, you know, the more conventional approach and it's more long-term, but probably, you know, not subject to you know vagaries in the market. I was explaining to somebody yesterday. For instance, you know the big a big vulnerability right now is if if you can cram a de- deal through right now with construction costs the way they are, you're doing it because interest rates are so low that you can get they can get a, a, enough cap rate spread to to make it work. But the risk is that interest rates slide up. You know, interest rates are two points lower than they were you know no time ago. Heck, if you do a five to seven year deal or a, three to you know two to three year kind of development flip deal, you know, and interest rates move two percent against you, uh, you know, the developer is the one that gets smoked in that. You just you just lost all of your upside profit, you know. Mm -hmm. But if you're holding a property forever, you know, and your main concern is what your is the risk side, your debt service coverage, you know, over your debt, a little bit of inflation is a good thing, and that's what drives interest rates. So you get a little bit of inflation, and you get more debt service coverage. You got a safer investment, better cash flow. You know, two percent rise in in um, top line is a seven percent increase in cash flow once you've got your mortgage fixed. You know, so um, because that's your prime expense, and that's a fixed fixed expense. Um, so you know, small small increases in the top line really improve your 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 debt coverage and your cash flow. So you, so it doesn't hurt you. Um, mm-hmm. It's a completely you know um, different way of looking at looking at things, and also much safer.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And um, you know, we talked about that a little bit before the show, but uh, you know, you're seeing the, the construction costs. and, I know it's not just in Northwest Arkansas that these uh, costs are, no. are rising. Um, nope. So, yeah, I think... Well,
0: I'm looking at a headline right now. Denver sees decrease in number of cranes and increase in construction costs in Q3. You know, <laughs> going to be a uh, consistent message. You know. um, mm-hmm. It's probably a good way to drive around and count cranes and see what's happening in the construction world. So, um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So your, your model uh, makes it a little more uh, easy to digest right now. So uh,
0: then the next question, you know, that, that usually is asked is um, why aren't more people doing it this way? And the answer is it's not easily rep- you know, repeatable, you know, uh, garden style apartment guys get a, a design from a firm. They may reskin slightly and uh, just stomp it out over and over. You know, it's very, Repetitive. It doesn't take many people to do it. It doesn't take a hell of a lot of thought to do it, um, and um, it's it's easy. It's you know it's it's, it's easier in, in a lot of ways. Um, and this is in ours, we're you know the, the you know our, Morgan and I ourselves have to be in a lot of the details all the time. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to do it it at, at, at an enormous scale. Um, and the second reason is nobody wants to do it all. Again, yet it's also related that to that uh, return on, on aggravation thing. <laughs> it, you know, you, what we're seeing right now, we've seen in the last, you know, decade is apartment developers recognizing the value of, of mixed use neighborhoods and, you know, I mean, mixed use is another one of those terms has been co-opted. By the sure. The, uh, but, you know, very vibrant neighborhoods with active coffee shops and restaurants and bars and all that kind of stuff. You know, the departments near that stuff do extremely well. So they started doing these mixed use Texas donuts with, you know, terrible ground floor retail spaces that are too gigantic and not even kind of cool and never going to get the tenants that we like to get for for our properties. And so, they have awkwardly stepped into this mixed use thing. They also price up the uh, retail space. at lease, the, yeah. With their pro formas. And now you're seeing them stampede right back to the suburbs where the son of a bitches belong, as far as I'm concerned. So, <laughs> you know, so they aren't willing to put the, the, or maybe even don't even have the capability to put the thought into the kind of the fine grained thinking to, that's required so that's an example of them trying to you know oh there's this one element if we just put this one element it's like a swimming pool we'll just put this you know we'll put a space for a coffee shop and it'll you know we'll we'll be cool then that now it that, 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 that works so you got to be thinking about all the elements all the time
1: no that makes that makes sense
0: and those two reasons the reason that people don't do it no.
1: so to go along with that um what kind of advice would you give somebody that is looking to get into development? Maybe from uh, something you've you've heard in the past or or something that you've lived. Uh,
0: I think you really really good at what at what at what you're you know. Choose a related vocation. Don't try to go come right out of school and become a developer unless you have a big pot of cap capital. In which case, that's probably a mistake too because. Developers I see screwing up are the ones that have too easy access to capital too early. But, uh, the um, but um, you know, if you're in construction, learn it extraordinarily well, but then start picking up the outside pieces, learn a little bit about finance, learn a little bit about sales and marketing, learn a little bit about the legal side, um, and then use that to transition into development and start small. I mean, everybody, you know, it's funny in, in the kind of urban, new urban world, we're considered large but i mean even in the small world of northwest arkansas it's only six hundred thousand people we're teeny you know so you know but you know start small because you're going to make mistakes and you're going to screw up small you know you screw up on three or four you know a cottage court of five or six homes it's no big deal nobody's getting hurt but you know um, be comfortable starting small while you have a full-time job you know Um, and Mm then and, and then uh, start bolting on the other pieces. And then, you know, the other thing is, um, you know, some people don't like partners, but I find that having a partner that, that, um, that is complementary to your um, strengths and weaknesses, I, I've found it extraordinarily valuable and I've found, you know, there are several other developers I know that are in the same same boat, that they've got somebody that, that, that they can play off of each other. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's like a marriage, you got to, you know, all of it, personalities and everything have to work as well. But, but, um, and it could be that there are more limited partnerships where not, not capital L capital P, but, you know, limited in scope in that you know, you kind of partner on a project here and, you know, learn something from each other and then, you know, um, go from there as you're, as you're filling in the, filling in the gaps, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, take your time. I was talking to a young guy the other day that wanted to go straight into development from, and has, you know, gotten a, a master's in development and, you know, CNU accreditation. And it's super good guy, super energetic, but, you know, developer, we don't, I don't hire many generalists, you know. I, I need construction managers and I need, um, you know, attorneys, but we hire them out. I need salespeople, you know, I need... You know i'm the generalist you know morgan's mm-hmm. a generalist, so we need position players um that that's we can do yeah. room to be generalists when it's time for them to take over the company but but to come out as a generalist is not that it's not the way to get into development i don't believe
1: construction
0: is hmm. probably the
1: best way to get into it mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting I, I see that a lot too as uh construction and uh sometimes architecture but uh it sounds like Morgan's got a little bit of both
0: yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he does <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome awesome well, I'll uh finish off with one one other quick question here is um what kind of resources uh, do you utilize and what which what kind of resources do you think are, are best for uh, what you're doing right now and that can be uh you know publications that can be just uh uh other people in the industry or um, you know, just certain resources that you like to utilize to to understand the market and, and wherever you're going.
0: Um, networking, and I mean, not goofy LinkedIn networking. I mean, you know, real shows <laughs> are the best way to to learn any industry. Um, um, I'm part of a group called the National Town Builders Association. I'm, I was the president for a couple of years. Um, we've got a great president right now that's, take, that's, that's added some really great initiatives, um, and it's a relatively small group of developers, but it's also very modest developers. They've done incredible things, but they are free with their time, and um, so we get together twice a year in fall, and, and a spring and fall roundtable. This year, we're having neither, unfortunately, because of COVID, which is really kind of cramped our style, but the, um, a lot of Zoom stuff. But I don't have to know the answer to every question, but I just I need to know who to call that knows the answer or who to call that might know who knows the answer so <laughs> I take advantage of that all the time and uh you know and it, at some point, I went from being a person that always was calling to try to learn something to holy smokes, I guess I'll know something now because people were these people were starting to send starting me to call you yeah you know now I'm doing podcasts, I guess I'm. <laughs>
1: Uh, You're at the pinnacle right now. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> the, the, the millennial pinnacle I get to do. Get, you know. um, the, you know, but talking to people and just cultivating a friendship with people, taking them to dinner, buying them drinks, you know, just picking their brains and, you know, uh, and getting to a point where, and especially if you can add something to their knowledge base or help them mm-hmm. with something. People always like that, you know, in in any little way. So, and and also if you, you know, um, when you're doing that, one thing I've got a pet peeve when somebody, you know, comes to me for advice or, you know, or I introduce them to two people together and then find out that they're working on something together that's really cool and nobody kept me up to date, you know. (laughs) Later, I'm like, holy smokes, I introduced them nobody. (laughs) You know, yeah. (laughs) You know, got an update on on the cool stuff that they're working on. It, it uh, just little like touches back to folks after they yeah. help to, le- to let them know. And there's there's no financial reward to it. It's just they want to be proud that they that they were able to help somebody. You know, want yeah. to feel, feel good about that.
1: So. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, I don't even I don't I typically do, but uh, don't even think about the impact. But yeah, that's that's everybody's
0: mama raised them right. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it I, I, never occurs to me not to you know, I like to call them when I'm working on you know people that have introduced me to people um and if we do something together, I love to tell them, hey, you know, by the way, you know we're working on this, you know, yeah, and, uh, maybe I'll thanks. Just like a
1: yeah. <laughs> maybe a thanks here and there, yeah, no, I appreciate this, yeah,
0: all
1: right. all right, all right, well, Ward, I appreciate all the time that you spent this morning and uh you know like i said if if people want to learn more about what what you guys are doing at high street um, how would how would they like to how would you like them to reach out to you
0: All right they can call me 499 five oh one four nine nine four thousand that's my cell phone you I don't mind people giving me a call but also mm-hmm. we've got a website that is thoroughly inadequate that we've uh, <laughs> got contact information but we're re-upping right now it's HighStreetRED.com for High Street Real Estate and Development. But uh, it won't be long before it's decent. (laughs) So uh, I can tell you a little bit.
1: Perfect.
2: Perfect. All All right. Thanks for your time, Ward.
0: Thanks, Matthew. Good talking to you. Yep. Bye.